The Rams just captured the Lombardi Trophy with a win over the Bengals. What do the Seahawks need to do on offense to get back to the big game? Find out on the latest episode of Locked on Seahawks. You are Locked on Seahawks. Your daily Seattle Seahawks podcast. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network. Your team every day. Greetings 12, this is Corbin Smith, your host for Locked On Seahawks. Joining me for our Tuesday episode, my co-host in crime, Rob Rang. One of our favorite episodes of the entire year, right after the Super Bowl, we do this every single year, outlining a blueprint for the Seahawks to get back to the Super Bowl. We're going to be looking at the offensive side of the football today, what Seattle needs to do with the skill positions and along the offensive line to set themselves up to make a run for the Lombardi Trophy next season as always thanks for making locked on seahawks your first listen five days a week now for your lead story here on locked on seahawks orchestrating the biggest shakeup that they've had under pete carroll in his 13 years of the organization the seahawks officially announced their 2022 coaching staff today and rob no real surprises here we knew that pete carroll obviously was going to be the head coach we knew that shane waldron was going to be back as offensive coordinator we expected the changes with Sean Desai and Carl Scott joining as defensive assistant coaches, Clint Hurt getting elevated to defensive coordinator, Andy Dickerson taking over as offensive line coach. All of those reported moves have now officially become official. They've signed the dotted line. So no worries about another Ed Donatel type situation. And with that being said, got a nice shakeup with this coaching staff, some new blood coming from other organizations, and of course, some guys internally getting promoted as well. Yeah, I think there's some exciting changes. Uh, you know, some some youth, some uh, innovation, uh, I think that has come into Seattle. We, we've talked so much before, Corbin, about, uh, you know, the, the promotion of, of Clint Hurt and how that he has been, uh, you know, an associate head coach here for the last uh, several years. So it kind of felt like he was a, a coach who was going to just kind of continue to rise up the, the ranks here. So it was one that we anticipated. And of course we were just kind of frothing at the mouth, the possibility of Seattle being able to, to bring in, uh, you know, a, a young coach like a Sean Desai. Carl Scott was a name that kind of jumped into the mix here recently that, that we were excited about, you know, just kind of considering uh, what he did at the university of Alabama. And again, just another guy who, whose arc is just seems like it's, it's just going up so quickly. I'm excited about, what he might be able to bring, you know, now I know the Minnesota Vikings, for example, did not have the greatest of seasons last year, but you just consider the talent that they had to go up against on the offensive side of the football. And so I think that Carl Scott is the one that a lot of people are not talking about right now, but I I'm excited to see what, uh, what, what new ideas that he is going to bring. Um, and then the one other player or the one other coach, excuse me, that, uh, that is coming back to Seattle, Sanjay Law, uh, I think as the wide receiver and passing coordinator, I think that's a, a significant story as well. I mean, you're talking about a man who uh, who has some Pacific Northwest roots, of course, played at the University of Washington years ago, um, and then it just bounced around in the NFL as a receiver coach. I think he's like his 14th or 15th year. Um, and he has been with, with several different teams, most recently with the Jacksonville Jaguars, but previously stops in Dallas and Indianapolis, et cetera, et cetera. I think that his experience on the outside at wide receiver, I think is, uh, you know, 
is is interesting because of the fact that the Seahawks do have so many young wide receivers. They're hoping that somebody is going to be able to develop behind Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf. So I think that Lau is exactly the type of guy uh, to be able to kind of light a fire under those receivers and see if there's somebody that that, that can actually uh, hold up that mantle. I had a running joke going on social media once this news broke a few hours ago that Sanjay Lal's becoming the Al Woods of the Seahawks coaching staff. He spends some time in Seattle and then he leaves and then he comes back. This is his second his second stint in three seasons with the Seahawks. Now, I talked to a number of players last year that were adamant that that was a big loss from the coaching staff. He had a big impact, even though he was only here for one season, when Seattle was just lighting up scoreboards in the first half of the 2021 campaign, mainly through the passing game. Big part of that was the receiver stepping up. And Sanjay Law, he was a senior offensive assistant, but he had his imprint left on those receivers. And so they're really excited to bring him back as the receiver coach and passing game coordinator. And I'm excited for Chad Morton. He's been the running back coach for the last couple of years. And when you consider the injuries that they've dealt with in that position, and yet they've been able to, roll out different guys time and time again and still have some production in both the running and receiving game. He is going to take over now as the run game coordinator, along with still being the running backs coach, taking Andy Dickerson's place. So those two will continue to work together. Now he's just got a more extensive role while Andy Dickerson takes over as the new offensive line coach. Dave Canales also taking back over as the quarterback coach. Austin Davis looked like he was going to Auburn. Now he's not coaching at all after five weeks with the Auburn Tigers, he resigned saying he wanted more time with his family, but they're going to have Canales back there as the quarterback coach. And they also upgraded Nate Carroll. He's been on his father's staff since the beginning of his time in Seattle has been the receiver coach the last several seasons. He is now a senior offensive assistant. So a number of moves on the offensive side of the football. As for defense, we knew most of the moves the Seahawks were going to make, but there's one in particular that I am fired up about. And now, I will say this. There were a few other reporters that messaged me that said that Will Tukuafu was with the Seahawks in some capacity last year, but he was not on their 2021 coaching staff list, and I never saw him at practice. But he is now officially their quality control coach on defense, the former defensive lineman and fullback that played for the Seahawks a few years back, now is jumping into the coaching reign. So I'm really excited to see what Will Tukuafu can do, and maybe this is going to be the beginning of his ascent as a coaching prospect. He was a guy that a lot of his teammates said had a really high football IQ, understood the game, playing multiple positions. So I'm excited about that and Aaron Curry moving to assistant defensive line coach. That might suggest we might see some schematic changes with that move, but Aaron Curry continuing to climb up the coaching ranks here in Seattle as well. Yeah, and another one, Deshaun Shedd. I mean, we're talking about all these different former Seahawks players who have now taken over as, as Seahawks coaches. It kind of goes back to what Pete Carroll has always preached. I remember when he was coaching Chad Morton uh, as a running back uh, back at USC. And, and to me, that's one of the things I think is kind of exciting about it. Pete Carroll talked about it with the press conference or with the, uh, you know, just the Seattle's announcement today of their new coaching staff. was just that it's kind of a shot in the arm, just the, the youth, the enthusiasm of all these new coaches and, and the fact that so many of them are former players. So many of them are as young as they are. I mean, I'm literally sitting in a high school right now having this conversation with you, Corbin. And I can't tell you how much, how important it is to be able to be able just to kind of identify 
with, with today's youth. And if you don't have that connection, then they're not going to listen to you. And players, you'd like to think, I mean, because they obviously are getting paid to play, that they need to be paying attention. But still, if you can develop that rapport with them, yep. then it just makes that that much that much easier. I think that you could even kind of go back out from an NFL perspective and just look at the two teams that were just competing in the Super Bowl. The fact that Zach Taylor and, of course, Sean McVay of the Super Bowl champion Los Angeles Rams, two young coaches, not just the head coaches, but their staffs as well. I think that it's a young man's game and not just from the player's perspective, from the coach's perspective as well. Pete Carroll may be up there in terms of years, but he he carries himself like a young man. And I think it's that type of enthusiasm that was needed for a franchise right now that, you know, I think there's a lot of talk out there that maybe they were just kind of, you know, going off of, of their reputation that they didn't have that type of fire anymore. I think they certainly have that fire now. If you've ever read Pete Carroll's Win Forever book, this should not be a surprise that he is willing to go out and get young coaches. A lot of the guys that he brought in early in his tenure, like Chris Richard, he had played for Pete Carroll, but he was a very young coach. We saw Marquand Manuel. There's been a number of guys that came into this organization that were young coaches and then quickly ascended to either head coaching jobs or defensive coordinator positions. Pete Carroll's hoping to be able to do that with this group that he has now brought in. So some exciting developments and they're really eager to get started for the 2022 season. Speaking of the 2022 season, the Rams just won the Super Bowl. One of the Seahawks' biggest rivals, the Seahawks want to get back to the big game as we do each and every year. It's time to outline our blueprint for how the Seahawks can get back to the Super Bowl. We're going to start on the offensive side of the football with some thoughts on what needs to happen at the skill positions here in a moment. Football season might be over, but basketball is now in full steam, both for pro and college hoops. From all the latest odds, totals, player performance props to where the next fired coach is going to land, BetOnline.net is the number one spot for all of your sports betting needs. BetOnline remains the best spot for all of your sports scores, podcasts, and news this season. And it's not just basketball. BetOnline.net is your source for hockey, boxing, UFC, right to Olympic coverage and information. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends in action. BetOnline, where the game starts. You're listening to the Locked On Seahawks podcast, Tuesday edition. I'm your host, Corbin Smith. Joining me as always, Rob Rang. Thanks for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. We've kind of been counting down the days for these couple of episodes because these are two of our favorite episodes out of the entire year. Now, I wish we were talking about it like last year where we were looking at a team that won 12 games in the regular season, was a division champion, and then bowed out quickly in the playoffs because you would think with a team like that, got a really good chance to make a run for the Super Bowl, but we're going to be talking about a 7-10 and 10 team that finished in last place in the NFC West, had some injuries, some unfortunate luck. Now they've turned over the coaching staff in a number of different ways, and so big changes in the Pacific Northwest. What do the Seahawks need to do on offense to get back to the big game next year, which happens to be in Glendale, Arizona? What a revenge game that would be after what happened the last time they played in a Super Bowl game in Arizona. What do the Seahawks need to do to get there? Let's talk skill positions on offense. And I'm going to give you the floor here first. What do you think is the most pressing need at the skill positions for the Seahawks on offense that they have to address to get back to the playoffs and make a push for a Lombardi trophy? 
Well, I think the skill positions, I mean, obviously you can have to start off the conversation at the quarterback, but we know that Russell Wilson um, is currently under contract for this next year. Maybe you can have the conversation about trying to extend him and just erasing any doubt about where he wants to play, where he is going to be for the future. But I would actually push it over to the running back position and making sure that you feel good about whoever your running back is going to be. Obviously, the Seahawks have a great, a much better idea about what Chris Carson may or may not be able to provide them uh, this year moving forward. Uh, same thing with, with Rashad Penny. They know if they are going to be willing to uh, to try and bring him back and about what he might command on the open market. This is this offense is so still run through the backs that you have to make sure that you have a plan in place there. So to me, those would be some of my very first decisions I'd be making is how uh, likely is it to be able to extend Russell Wilson and, probably, and, and possibly be able to drop his salary cap number this year so you can pot potentially be that much more aggressive in free agency. And if that is not the case, if you are just going to kind of focus in on other positions, then again, running back, whether it be Rashad Penny, who I'm a fan of, bringing back at a reasonable cost. And if not, then I think that you have to kind of move your money that you're going to be allocating to those skill position players to perhaps other positions. We'll talk about this a little bit more because I am confident Seattle might be able to find a running back in this draft class who might be able to hit the ground running. I'm glad you mentioned the draft because I don't think it matters if Rashad Penny is back in 2022 or he's playing for one of the other 31 teams. They need to use one of their draft picks. Right now they've got six. We know John Schneider likes to trade down. He didn't really do that last year, but maybe there'll be a little more maneuvering to get extra picks this year. But one of their picks needs to be used on a running back. This is a very solid running back class. And there are a number of backs that I think will be available late on day two into day three that fit the profile of a feature back in Seattle. Guys that are in that 210 to 225 pound range that run with physicality, love going downhill, break tackles in bunches. Those kind of backs, there's a number of them in this class. I've talked about Damian Pierce from Florida, Abram Smith from Baylor. Those are just two of them that I think you could maybe get in the third, fourth, fifth round, depending where they end up falling. But two bruising backs that play with the mentality that Pete Carroll's looking for. I think Rashad Penny should be one of their bigger priorities to bring back because we saw what he can do when he's fully healthy. And that hasn't happened much, but he's still a young back, just 26. We saw that first round talent. We saw the ability to be a top five running back in this league for an extended period of time. But I would be hesitant to pay him more than four and a half, five million dollars a year on probably more than a two-year deal because of the position he plays, the durability. So really the price tag is going to be everything. You try to bookmark a contract for him and if it exceeds that, then you move on. But they're going to have to find that feature back that potentially could take over in the draft, whether you re-sign Penny or not. He and Carson both have injury histories. You can't bet on those two staying healthy for the entire season. Maybe Travis Homer and DJ Dallas can be solid spot starters for you, but I don't think either one of them's proven they can be the feature guy. So that should be a priority in the draft is trying to find that guy that could develop into that player. As far as the other skill spots, at receiver, I feel like the Seahawks are pretty well set. I still believe in D. Eskridge. I know his rookie season was an absolute bummer with him having a concussion, missing seven games, and then really struggling to get him involved in the offense, the issues with knowing where to go, where to line up. That has to be corrected. He's got to be much better prepared 
And you got to hope that he's able to stay healthy. But this kid's an electric athlete. He brings a different skill set than Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf. So I still believe he can make an impact. We saw some good things from Freddie Swain. If they're going to add to this group, I would argue somebody like DeAndre Carter or Ray Ray McLeod, who are both free agents coming from the Redskins or from the Washington Commanders and the uh, Pittsburgh Steelers. Those two players have special teams experience. They were among the league leaders in punt return yardage last year, and they had decent statistics with limited opportunities on offense. So they might be able to push Eskridge and Swain, but that would be the extent that I would be looking to add, maybe a big body receiver in the later rounds of the draft. But that is not a position that I'm putting top priority on because I believe in the talent that I have on the outside. No, I, I certainly do as well. I mean, DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett, I mean, that is as formidable of a one-two punch as I think you're going to find in all of the NFL. Um, so I, I agree with that. And I, I love that you mentioned D. Eskridge because I think that he's absolutely critical. I think that you, you have to see a significant jump from him. And then I'll even mention the tight ends here. I think you have to see a significant jump from Kobe Parkinson as well. If, if Seattle is not confident that Kobe Parkinson can be the player that they thought he was when they invested that middle-round draft pick, in him, then there is a free agent out there, Mike Gusecki, who I think is already that that type of a seam threat that I think would make a lot of sense for Seattle. I mean, Peter, John Schneider has been drafting these big, tall receiver, almost tight end kind of guys for you know going back years and years and years. And, and I really think that Kobe Parkinson can be that guy, but he has to make that type of, of, of jump here this upcoming season. So to me, we're talking about priorities in the blueprint for Seattle to get back to the Super Bowl next year. Then I think that you have to see those two players, Kobe Parkinson and D. Eskridge, both take huge steps forward. And I think that they have the talent to be able to do that. It's one of the reasons why I'm so excited about Sanjay Law coming back is just because he is a guy who was known for being able to kind of uh, help develop young wide receivers. I mean, you should see what he did at Dallas last couple of years, um, you know, previous to going to the Jacksonville Jaguars and just a train wreck that Jacksonville was, but CD lamb um, was among Cedric Wilson um, was another one that, that really started their game started to kind of take off over these last couple of years when law was there. So to me, that is kind of what you should be able to expect from D. Eskridge. And then you talked about Ray Ray McLeod and other guys like that who might be able to give you something in the return game as well. To me, D. Eskridge might be able to do that. And if not, if you don't feel confident about putting D. Eskridge back there and you are looking still for that, that deep threat, one player who I've always been kind of intrigued by is Will Fuller. The fact that he has struggled with injuries over and over and over again, to me, it would be one of those kind of deals where Seattle might be able to, to get him on a cheap contract, like the gamble they played with Philip Dorsett a couple of years ago. Obviously, that didn't pan out, but Will Fuller has breakaway speed now. And to me, if you can get him like on a one-year prove-it kind of a deal, then he might be exactly the type of cheap investment that Seattle could make that could wind up paying off huge. Yeah, that would be the only type of move I would make a receiver. I'm certainly not going out and trying to get a bigger name that's out there like an Allen Robinson that's going to cost me a ton of money. They have other needs that they need to address. Now, as for the tight end position, you and I were talking about this a little bit going into the show. I just think that continuity at that position is probably the way to go. I felt like Gerald Everett late in the season, you started to see that rapport with Russell Wilson. Now, those couple of concentration drops that he had, you got to eliminate those. Those have been a problem for him throughout his five years in the NFL. He just seems to have those focus drops time to time. If you can cut those down, 
his ability to create after the catch. He lived up to the hype in that regard. Ninth among tight ends with 50 or more targets and yards after the catch per reception. Breaking tackles left and right. Had 11 missed tackles forced this year. And he also can extend the field. He's a vertical threat, a guy that can stretch the defense. You saw those things in spurts. Wilson's injuries certainly did not help their chemistry, but I think late in the year, you saw that chemistry hitting off. He's still a young tight end that's got a lot of upside. And I think with this market as saturated as is, this draft class being good as well, I don't think teams are going to be rushing to pay veteran tight ends big bucks. So I think you can get a very similar deal for Everett. Will Disley's not a guy that's put up really good receiving numbers the last couple of years, but he's valuable as a run blocker. I don't think he's going to be somebody that's going to be expensive to re-sign either. So I could see those two and Colby Parkinson running it back for another season. And maybe you can use one of your draft picks to bring in another tight end. If you wish, maybe somebody like Mo Alley Cox and free agency that maybe is going to be fairly affordable if you want to go that route. But I really don't feel like that is an area that they need to go out and make a super expensive splash. I like the players they have. Now you got to maximize usage of those players, like somebody like Colby Parkinson, where you got to let him run routes, let him do what he's really good at rather than run blocking all the time. If they can do that in year two with Shane Waldron, then I really like the chances this offense really turning things around. Now we talk skill positions. We're going to get to what really matters. And we talked about yesterday, the value of playing well in the trenches, offensive and defensive lines win football games. We're going to look at what the Seahawks may or may not need to do on the offensive line to get back to the Super Bowl next season. This episode is brought to you by Rock Auto. With the ever-increasing numbers of makes and models, it's now impossible for your local chain auto parts store to stock all the parts you need. Why endure often pointless or seemingly intimidating questioning and wait while the person behind the counter orders the parts on their computer, choosing the only brand their warehouse happens to carry? You have computers with access to rockauto.com at home and in your pocket. So save time and money using Rock Auto. It's a family business serving do-it-yourselfers for over 20 years. Rock Auto prices are reliably low for every customer. They have everything you could need, whether it's brake parts, tail lamps, motor oil, or even new carpet. Go explore their easy-to-use website today to find the solution to all of your auto part needs. Go to rockauto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car or truck, right? Locked on in the how did you hear about us box so they know we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. rockauto.com. You're listening to the Locked On Seahawks podcast, Tuesday edition. I'm Corbin Smith, joined as always by my co-host in crime, Rob Rang. Thanks for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. We greatly appreciate it. Continuing our blueprint to the Super Bowl on the offensive side of the football. We do this year in, year out. We just looked at the skill positions, running back, receiver, tight end. Very briefly touched on quarterback, hoping to see Russell Wilson back under center as expected in 2022 and beyond. Let's go to the men that are charged with protecting Russell Wilson. And I think this is an interesting follow-up discussion from yesterday because we were talking about priorities and free agency. Is it going to be left tackle? Is it going to be center? Is it going to be the right tackle spot? You have potentially three openings along your offensive line. You do have Damian Lewis and Gabe Jackson coming back at guard. But what needs to happen to truly get this group over the hump? We talked about this is really what hurt Mike Solari is that the group just kind of flatlined. They hit a plateau and they weren't able to get better or improve beyond that. What move or moves can be made to really help this group 
take another step in the right direction, push this team towards a Super Bowl? Well, I think priority number one on offense and all is basically just solidifying the center position. Um, you know, the, the fact that you do play in a division that has a, a monster like Aaron Donald um, ha has been the priority for the last couple of years now. And that's why I think it's got to just be maddening and frustrating for, for Seahawks fans that, that Seattle has not uh, Im improved in this regard yet. But they have the best combination of draft capital and free agent uh, salary cap space to, to be able to actually fix the problem this year, at least in my opinion. And so I, I'm really intrigued by, by what they might be able to do here. Um, there are some different uh, free agents out there that I, I think would make some sense. If you want to throw an awful lot of money at somebody, then, uh, you know, we talked about this before. Ryan Jensen, perhaps, from Tampa Bay Buccaneers, would be one of those guys that you could throw an awful lot of money and, and basically – erase any of the doubt, the critics out there who are saying that Seattle never invests money in the center. I don't think that's the smartest move. I just think that it is a possible move. You talked about a guy in Brian Allen from the Los Angeles Rams. Obviously that would have a, a great deal of familiarity in uh, Shane Waldron and Andy Dickerson's scheme. And so that to me would be an intriguing one. Another one that I'm also excited about, especially considering that we are expecting a little bit more zone blocking uh, scheme from the Seahawks moving forward would be James Daniels, who played some center as well as guard with the Chicago Bears. But he was one of the most athletic centers I'd ever seen, Corbin, when he came out of the University of Iowa a couple of years ago. He's only 25 years old. He's still just a pup. And, and so to me, his best football is still ahead of him. So he would be another player who's not on the most center list because he played an awful lot of guard for the Chicago Bears as well. But he is another one who has the versatility in the inside that I think would make some sense. And this is a decent draft class in terms of centers, not as good as last year's. That's why I do think that Seattle, if they are in fact going to be bringing back somebody other than the reigning starter, Ethan Posick, then it is going to be a free agent addition rather than waiting for the draft. I do think that there may be a couple of players at pick number 41. I don't know if the Seahawks want to go center in the second round, but their decision not to do that last year is one that – Right now, does not necessarily look like a wise decision. But if Zion Johnson, who had not played center at Boston College, but he was able to make that transition seamlessly at the Senior Bowl, if he slips to 41, I've talked to a number of people that think he's going the first round. I think he has vaulted to that level based on how he played in the Senior Bowl, the reputation that he has being a first-team all-ACC selection at two different positions and just an outstanding character guy. I would be surprised if he's there at 41, but I would be jumping through hoops to make that pick if he's still there at 41. And one other player that I really like in this draft class that maybe isn't getting as much buzz, Donovan West from Arizona State is a player that's got some good athleticism, decent size. Need to watch a few more games to really put together a full evaluation, but that would be a day two guy that I think could make some sense for the Seahawks with his center background and his athleticism with the systems they're going to be running, leaning more towards some zone blocking. Those might be some rookies to look at, but I would think Brian Allen would be the best fit among all choices here, just because Shane Waldron and Andy Dickerson know him from their time with the Rams, and he's in his mid-20s. This is a young guy that was a top 10 ranked or top 10 graded center on pro football focus, both as a run blocker and a pass protector. And he was just playing 
as the center for the Super Bowl champions. Try to weaken them by taking away one of their better offensive linemen. Bolster your group in a position that you've needed to upgrade for a number of years. And so he would probably be the guy that I think that they should be bookmarking some money for trying to sign in free agency if they can. You've got some draft options. you got a few older veterans out there that would make some sense as well if they want to pursue them like Jensen that are probably going to cost a significant amount of money to be able to bring in given their pedigree uh, being on Super Bowl teams, being on all pro and pro bowl teams. But Brian Allen's a guy that makes a lot of sense for me. I think the other thing that is really interesting, we talked about this yesterday. There are some really good left tackles set to hit the market. I think Teron Armstead is way too rich for the Seahawks to go after, even though as a general manager, I would be, I'd be very uh, keen on the idea of trying to go out and make that move because I think Tron Armstead's a fantastic player. He's only 30 years old. He's had a few injuries, but I'm taking that chance at the right price tag as long as I don't have to derail my salary cap to do it. I would take a look at it. But you and I both agreed Dwayne Brown is going to be significantly cheaper on a one-year deal. I still think he's got some good football left in him. He showed it in the second half. The real question is, do you have a future left tackle and waiting there in Stone Forsyth? Or do you believe, you know what, after seeing him for a year, the way he developed, we're not sold on that. If that's the case, you need to figure that out either through the draft or maybe there's a younger tackle that you can go out and sign that maybe can compete and have a chance maybe to be a starter at left tackle. Or maybe that's what they do all together. Say, you know what, we're moving on from Dwayne Brown. We're going to go with a younger guy that maybe hasn't started a lot of games on a free agent market. There's always a lot of risk of doing that, especially with Seattle's track record. But whatever it is, they need to figure out what their succession plan is. This would be the second year in a row they'd be working on that. At some point, you got to find a guy that can come in and start games for you, protecting Russell Wilson's blind side. And so that's going to be a big check mark for them to figure out this offseason. No, it certainly is. I, I would be surprised if Seattle, uh, you know, signed a, a free agent, uh, you know, to a young free agent offensive tackle to kind of be that that, that tackle and waiting behind Dwayne Brown. Um, I think that possibly they might invest in another draft pick as, as they did a year ago in Stone Forsyth. I think that they were drafting Stone Forsyth knowing full well, Corbin, that he wasn't going to see any type of, of real action for them this past year. You're just gambling on the traits that he possesses and the, the fact that he does appear to be a coachable young man um, that, that needed that time behind Dwayne Brown. I, I do. Th I was encouraged by the, the little bit of practice that I was able to see with Forsyth because, of course, none of us saw any type of uh, you know playing time during the regular season, at least not consistent playing time. So that's where I, I think that, that Seattle, if they do anything at that left tackle position in terms of younger players, it might be bringing back a guy like a Jamarco Jones or somebody like that. I, I, you hit the nail on the head. I think when it comes back to the left tackle position is Dwayne Brown. I, I really would expect that Dwayne Brown is going to be returning next season, next season for the Seahawks. I think that he is that kind of alpha dog that they, that they need along the offensive line. I think the fact that he played his best football down the stretch Again, going back to the Los Angeles Rams, the fact that they just won the Super Bowl with Andre Whitworth, one of the very few uh, you know, players in the NFL who was older than Dwayne Brown, capably manning that left tackle spot uh, you know, for the Rams. I think it just kind of shows that if you have size, you have strength, you have power, you still are a good athlete, and you understand technique the way that these guys do, 
um, then, then I think that you're able to kind of last a long time in the NFL. We're seeing it with Jason Peters. We're seeing it with Trent Williams. There's just so many really good old tackles in today's NFL. I mean, call Walter Jones. You know, I mean, he, he might be able to just kind of, or Ray Roberts might be able to do it all over again just because of, uh, of how long we're seeing NFL tackles last right now. I mean, it's absolutely amazing because so much of it is you have to block just for a couple of seconds before the quarterbacks generally get the ball out of their hands. And then switching inside to the other interior positions, the, the guard position for me real quick, one other thing I wanted to make sure that I mentioned is I've been a big fan of the idea of moving Damian Lewis inside the center. It's a position I've always felt was his most natural position given his frame. I, I believe we are, are big fans of Phil Haynes, and I would like to see Phil Haynes have a little bit easier opportunity to get onto the football field. And so I still think that that has to be something that Seattle considers. Now, maybe Damian Lewis has no interest in that move. I don't know. But if he does have some interest in that move, to me, I would be really interested to see Damian Lewis at center and then Phil Haynes and Gabe Jackson at the two guard positions. I still think that would be Seattle's most formidable interior three. Yeah, I think the only concern I would have at this point with moving Damian Lewis to center is you just moved him to the other guard spot last year. You'd like to have some continuity in the position that he is playing. But with that said, I think that the potential would be there for him to be a very solid center. And you and I both agree that Phil Haynes, the limited opportunities that he's had, there's been injuries, but when he played the end of the season last year, this kid has a lot of talent. He's got the ability to move people in the run game, but he's also got light feet for his size. That's his basketball background. So I'm going to throw this out there. I don't think this is going to happen, and I'm not even going to say that this is on my blueprint for getting the Seahawks in Super Bowl, but it's just something that you and I have talked about here over the last few days with the offensive line coach change. You just extended Gabe Jackson after you traded a fifth-round pick for him, but I got to wonder if the fit is necessarily there now at this point, especially if you're going to have Andy Dickerson and Shane Waldron leaning much more heavily on the zone-blocking scheme. Now, I know Gabe Jackson played in a zone-heavy scheme with Tom Cable, former Seahawks offensive line coach with the Raiders his last couple of years, but that doesn't really fit his skill set. And This is a guy that's now in his 30s. His athleticism is going to be waning in coming seasons, and I thought he had a solid 2021, but not a great first year with the team. So I'm almost wondering, could this be a case where last year with Mike Solari still in the staff, Gabe Jackson was a really good fit. They just gave up a fifth to get him. I know they extended him, but might they consider to open up $6 million in cap space this year, seeing if they can get a late-round pick, moving him to another team that might be a better scheme fit? Again, I don't think this happens, but you can't tell me that this is a discussion the Seahawks have not had with the coaching changes that have now gone on and with how well that Phil Haynes played at the end of last year. If you're going to give him a restricted free agent tender, which I think that they should, you'd like to see him get on the field. So they've got some decisions to make there. But um, nonetheless, I think the guard spots, they're going to keep all three of those guys. And I think that's fine. I think that that's a position that they're okay at right now. Really what they got to figure out, though, center, got to fix that issue that John Schneider just completely neglected last year. And they got to figure out the succession plan for Dwayne Brown. But I think you and I can both agree, if they can check off both those boxes and you still bring Dwayne Brown back, you've got your two guards and you believe Jake Curhan can be the guy at right tackle, maybe have him compete against somebody like Jamarco Jones or Stone Forsythe for that right tackle job, then I think you would feel pretty, pretty good about your offensive line going into 2022. 
Yeah, and I do feel pretty good about Seattle's offensive line. I think that it is a better unit than uh, you know their 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 hype or lack of hype might suggest. I think that uh, that we saw that down the stretch. The once to me, the biggest thing is the the lack of continuity. That the fact that you had a new offensive coordinator, you had you know we talked about this before. Too many cooks in the in the in the kitchen a little bit, so to speak, as far as the offensive line and what they were basically telling their linemen to do. I think you're going to have a lot more consistency this next season. Um, and, and so that is one of the reasons why I feel very confident that you're going to see Seattle uh, have one heck of a bounce back year next year. We'll see. I think this is going to be one of the more intriguing parts of their offseason plan. What they figure out along the offensive line. Do they decide to address center and free agency this time around? Do they make a little bit bigger splash in the offensive line? Or do they stick with status quo and look for bargains and try to figure things out in the draft? There are a number of different avenues that John Schneider in the front office could take. And so, again, it's going to be very fascinating to see what they do. But I'm intrigued. You're coming off a tough season. You've got plenty of pieces on offense. If you can fix a few of those gaps, this could once again be a very formidable unit next year, which gives them a chance to compete in not just the NFC West, but in the conference in general, trying to get back to the Super Bowl. As always, thanks for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. Now make sure to check out the Locked On Bets podcast as your second listen. It's your daily one-stop shop for all your gambling needs. Locked On Bets is hosted by your boy Q with expert analysis and insight from Lee Sterling. You can follow me on Twitter at Corbin Smith NFL. Make sure to follow Rob at Rob Rang. He's got his latest mock draft posted on Twitter today. So make sure to check it out. You can find Locked on Seahawks on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, five days a week streaming on YouTube as well. Coming up on our Wednesday show, going to continue our blueprint to the Super Bowl, flipping the script to the defensive side of the ball. What do the Seahawks need to do on defense to get this unit playing at a championship caliber level going into 2022? You won't want to miss it. Thanks for listening in. Enjoy the rest of your Tuesday. Go Hawks.